And we call this season Advent. And I, I like the word Advent. It's the, it's the core word of adventure, right? So whenever we're on an adventure, we are, we are going towards something great. We are having a, a, an experience. And so Advent is, is, a, is kind of that idea that we are on an adventure to experience what God's promises are going to do in this world. Advent is a season of focus on the coming of God's salvation. And a, a lot of times now that, uh, that Jesus has come, we think about Advent as a looking back uh, to what happened at the first Christmas, at the birth of Jesus, and that is part of Advent. But Advent in its kind of more pure sense is, is about hope. You see, Advent was uh, the, the looking forward of God's people to his fulfilling of these promises that uh, he had made in the scriptures to his people. And we still have promises that we are looking for being fulfilled in, uh, as people of God today. So we are not just looking back, but we are also looking in anticipation with hope, uh, just as all people of God have done throughout the ages. And so as we focus on the idea of hope, I want to ask you this kind of framing question. Where is your hope? Now, I'm not asking your Sunday school answer. I'm not asking you to verbalize it. I'm asking you to ask your heart, where is your hope? Where is your hope? What are, uh, another way of of maybe getting at this this question at your heart is, what, what are the conditions that make your hope strong? Versus the conditions that make your hope weak? What are the things that can happen that that threaten your hope or cast doubt on your hope? When you look at what gets you nervous or anxious or excited or gives you peace, what are those things that you're focused on? Does your Hope, your sense of well-being and, and, and sense of, of things are going to be okay, adjust based on the news cycle, adjust based on what comes across social media. What, what is your focus? Where is your hope? For Advent this, this month, we are going to go back, way back into the Old Testament times and the scriptures of the prophet of Isaiah. Isaiah was a person who lived by hope, and he wrote his book by his name, Isaiah, the prophecies of his book, 800 years before Christ. 800 B.C. is the time of the ministry of Isaiah. And Isaiah was a prophet dealing with the nation of Judah and the nation of Israel as they were living in what was becoming more and more clear, their last generation before exile, before being conquered, before being taken away from the promised land and moved into being oppressed and being the conquered as opposed to the free. And so there's, there's a lot of just evidence around the time of Isaiah, that there are problems that don't seem to have a solution, great problems domestically. 
There are, there are kings that are failing their job. There are leaders that are taking advantage of people. There is, there is rampant uh, greed and self-interest. And there are problems internationally. There is the birth of, of superpowers in the ancient Near East, as opposed to what Israel had dealt with in the past, which were uh, their, their immediate neighbors, which were nations about the same size as they were. And so they would go back and forth having different uh, 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 fights at times. But now there is a genuine superpower, an empire has arisen called Assyria that is so powerful and so vicious that it can basically, by its military, accomplish whatever will it has upon any nation around it. And so Assyria is becoming a great danger. And so you can imagine that if you were living in the times of Isaiah, that you feel the danger all around you. You feel the danger of falling. You find, feel the danger of things coming to an end. And so you also have, in the times of Isaiah, calls to hope, calls to, to solutions, calls to hoping in, in political uh, uh, answers or hopes in, in um, military solutions and all these other things. And so there was a call to hope, but a lot of the calls to hope were, to be, were being placed in the wrong places. For example, King Ahaz in dealing with the threat of, of Damascus and some other nations, he decides that his best hope is to make an alliance with Assyria, an alliance that ultimately dooms the, 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 the nation of Israel and Judah. So there is hope in the wrong places. What about us? What about us? Do we, do we feel like the world is in a place that is very fragile. Do we have, have some sentiments amongst us that, you know, maybe this is the last generation for, for the good life, for any number of reasons. And we might even explore some of those as we go through the sermon. But you look at politics, you, you, you look at economics, you look at kind of the social fabric and you can see things tearing and things at, at, at the point of, of, of being almost brittle to the point of, of breaking apart in so many places. And so I think going back to Isaiah is an appropriate thing for us because we are going to learn the same thing Isaiah taught his people. What do God's people do when the world nears the brink? We look to his promises. That is what we are called to do. When the world appears near the brink, we look to his promises. And that's what Advent is all about, to become people who are anchored and centered and focused on God's promises, not on the waves and the currents of the world around us. And so today is, is kind of an introduction to Advent. It's, a, it's Renew's first Advent season. So we want to be uh, introductory even to Advent itself. But as we look at, uh, at today's message and we orient ourselves to Advent, I want us to, to grasp this. Advent brings hope by calling us to accept, to await, and to align. Those are, those are three A's, so this has got to be good. 
So what do I mean, mean by that? How does Advent bring us hope by calling us to accept, to await, and to align? Well, we're going to go through each of those and, and, and flush those out. And if you have uh, one of your, your uh, handouts, you can uh, take notes at this point. But when, when we uh, say that Advent brings hope by calling us to accept, what, what am I saying? We, we have to accept where we are. That's the first thing that Advent calls us to do, is to accept where we are. And so in Isaiah chapter 11, uh, verse 1, Isaiah describes the condition of Israel as the stump. The stump. Right? Is everything okay? That's the question that we are always asking as we uh, deal with, you know, different, different situations in life. We, we always ask everybody, are, are you okay? How are you doing? And we ask the question, is, is everything okay? And if we have the answer, yeah, everything is basically okay. Yeah, I feel like things are, are good. Yeah, I'm, I'm fairly content. I think things are okay. Then, then we are in a frame that really doesn't need any hope right? If everything is okay, what do you need to be hoping in? You just keep the status quo. And so in, in calling out this, this condition of where we are as the stump, God is challenging the person who says, everything's basically okay. Things are fine. Because basically when we say everything is okay or things are fine, we are participating in denial. When we default to, instead of really taking stock of our situation, really paying attention to what's going on, and just glibly say everything is okay, everything is fine, we are actually participating in denial. We are not looking at reality. And so God, in his wisdom and in his grace, speaks to a nation Israel who is trying to live in denial and says to them, you're actually a stump. Why does God do this? Because to move us from denial to hope, God must call us to acceptance, the acceptance of the way things really are. And so God basically says in, in, in chapter 11, verse 1, is everything okay? Is, is, is it okay, Israel, the situation that we are in? And he uses this image of a stump to describe the situation. Now, a stump is a, is a provocative image. I think you can see the stump. I can't because there's a, there's a uh, <laughs> speaker right in the way. But here's a stump. And that's a very provocative image. As you think about what is a stump, first, a stump is a picture of, of diminishment, right? A stump used to be a, a mighty tree, a towering tree, right? When Becky and I moved into our, our newest house uh, here in Lee Summit, it, it, it's in a, in a beautiful area where they preserve and kept a lot of these great big trees that are probably 100-year-old trees, and we were super excited in the backyard was this great big tree with this long limb that went out to the side. And we were like, this tree is going to be the place of a tire swing. It's just going to be, it's going to be great. And so we thought, oh, well, what a wonderful tree this is. And I don't know how the sellers did this, but that tree died 
the moment we bought that house. It had green leaves. It had green leaves the day we, we looked at it. And when we closed on it, it had brown leaves. It was dead. And it never put out another green leaf again. And so now we had this 100-year-old tree that we had to remove from the back of our yard. And I mean, the trunk is, is probably 36 inches wide. I mean, it's a huge, huge, majestic tree. It was a sad thing to have to make the decision to, to cut it down. But the way that, that that tree is cut down, the way this big tree is cut down is that it starts at the top and they cut the branches from the top and then they cut more branches until they cut down all of the branches. And so you watch over the, the stage of about six or seven hours, this majestic tree with this gigantic shade reach just diminish smaller and smaller and become just a pile of wood until there is nothing left but a stump. So when we look at a stump, we see a picture of diminishment. It is a picture of, of times are not prospering, that, that, that the, the, the situation of Israel is not expanding, it's, it's shrinking. The prophet Isaiah in chapter 3, verse 13, kind of puts voice to this in another way when he says, the Lord has taken his place to contend. He stands to judge peoples. The Lord will enter into judgment with the elders and princes of his people. It is you who have devoured the vineyard. The spoil of the poor is in your houses. What do you mean by crushing my people, by grinding the face of the poor, declares the Lord of hosts. Do, do, you, do you see this, this condemnation of a nation that is, that is just kind of devouring itself? It is, it is diminishing. It is, it is taking advantage of one another rather than being uh, 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 partners to one another. They are, they are diminished their leaders are poor. Their leaders are, are selfish. Their bad leaders have, have led it to being bad times. But when we think about a stump, we, we, can, we can explore the, the image of a stump even further. A, a stump is also a, a picture of defeat. Right? Stumps are not natural. Stumps happen because a saw or an axe came against them and had its way, right? A stump has been cut down. And so when being cut down, we are, we are recognizing that Israel is dealing with the experience of being conquered. They are, they are experiencing the, the threat of this foreign nation of Assyria, and they are recognizing that their independence is coming to an end. As Isaiah says in chapter 1, verse 7, your country lies desolate, your cities are burned with fire, and your very presence foreigners devour your land. It is desolate, as overthrown by foreigners. And the daughter of Zion is left like a booth in a vineyard, like a lodge in a cucumber field, like a besieged city. The Lord of hosts had not left us a few survivors. We should have been like Sodom. And become like Gomorrah. So you see a picture of, of defeat. A picture of being cut down. But the stump says something else. The stump is also a picture of death. Right? When a tree is just a stump, the life is gone. Right? It's, it's, it's a dead tree. 
Isaiah chapter 6 says, Then I said, How long, O Lord? And he said, Until cities lie waste without inhabitant, and houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste. And the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again, like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. That sounds like a nation that is dead. It is left to the stump. It is a picture of death. But that's not even the worst image that is provoked by God calling Israel a stump. The worst is that the stump is a picture of despair. A picture of despair. Because this is not just a stump. This is the stump of Jesse. The stump of Jesse. Now who is Jesse? Jesse is the father of King David. And so when we are told that this is the stump of Jesse, we are being told that this was the tree of the house of David. This was the the great, mighty tree of the Davidic line. And God is saying, the tree of David is a stump. Now, if you understand the importance of the Davidic line, that was the hope of Israel, that we will always have a king on the throne of David. The promise that that God would always preserve the house of David was the thing that they looked at when everything was falling apart. And here God is saying, the house of David is now the stump of Jesse. It has been cut down. Is everything okay? Is everything okay? No. No. Things are very, very bad. What about us? Is everything okay? Is everything okay? Sometimes I think we are living in the the prologue of one of those disaster movies um, where you, you get a bunch of like these news clips of a strange virus or or of, of of unrest in a foreign country or 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 some sort of you know uh, zombie thing showing up in a foreign country and and you're like okay cut to you know 24 months later and the whole world you know is is Armageddon and nothing is alive and I feel like man are we are we just being bombarded with those those prologue clips of of the Armageddon. I mean, I mean just, just take stock. I mean, there, there is so much economic disparity. We, we hear of, of, of economic tensions just flaring up all the time. Racial tensions are, are always fomenting. We're dealing with environmental omens. I mean, every time you're like, another hottest month on record. <laughs> uh, uh, I mean, it's exhausting, but we're hearing uh, signs of, of environmental fatigue, environmental collapse. The bee population is about to disappear. We're 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 just hearing this, and then we have military hotspots. We have one of the great nuclear powers uh, that exists, Russia, in active war with Ukraine. A situation that could 
still go bad. We have Israel and, and Hamas. We have hot spots that, that, that kind of pull the strings of the whole world. And we are, we are necessarily nervous. And we live in a, in a, in a world of, of increasing political polarization. The ability for, for somebody on the right and the left to, to see any common ground is becoming uh, impossible. And I, 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 mean, I personally think that we're in judgment when you look at, at the choices that we have in front of us politically. It's scary. It's scary what could be happening in our midst. So we can look around us and, and it does not feel okay. But what if we look inside ourselves? What is the stump for you? What is the stump for you? What is, what is the diminishment that you're dealing with? What is the defeat? What is the death? What is the despair that you're battling? You know, we, we come to this point in the year and, and, and sometimes we lose a relationship. Sometimes we fail. Sometimes we have a, um, a, a job loss, a diagnosis. Sometimes we just have a hole that, that, that has come into our life because life went the wrong direction or, or we, we find ourselves uh, broken because of things that, that, that maybe have happened to us. Maybe we grew up in a divorced household and, and we've never been able to, 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 to live past that or, or any number of things. But it's this stump that just sits there in our heart and it sucks the life out of us. I came across this picture the other day of, of life expectancy. If you don't have a stump in your heart, here's one. <laughs> this, this is a chart of your life expectancy. The column on the top is how much life you have left to live based on how many years you have lived based on, is the column on the bottom. And so if you're 40, you have about, really, about the halfway point of your life left. And I want to talk about how much, how much it, it decreases as you go forward, but, but here is the thing. Every single one of us is living with an odometer of about 80 years. Every one of us has death, and it is coming a lot faster than you want to think. And that's if your odometer doesn't have a car accident in it or something like that. But every single one of us has the stump of death waiting for us. And it will take no exceptions. <coughs> is everything okay? No. We must accept where we are. We are in a place that is not okay. But is despair our only option? Is despair our only option? 
Thankfully, no, because Advent brings hope by calling us not only to accept where we are, but also to await God acting. To await God acting. So, so yes, there is this stump of Jesse, but also there are these words, there shall come forth a shoot. There shall come forth. Something is yet to happen in these bleak conditions. In the midst of the conditions of being a stump, God's word says things are not over. Why? Because God is not defeated. God is still has a move. Our being a stump does not stop God. Even when we can't, he can. That's, that's the good news. Even when we can't, he can. Out of this stump of diminishment and defeat and death and despair, out of this stump, God brings a shoot. A shoot, a new branch. <coughs> a shoot, which is new life. And so we have this stump with a shoot that God has brought out of it. This is a picture of our God bringing life from death. This is God's work. And what is the shoot from the stump of Jesse? This shoot has in it what was the stump of Jesse. This shoot is a new David. This shoot is saying that the tree that was the house of David that has fell, there is now a shoot coming up. And guess what? That shoot keeps the promise of the house of David alive. This is a new David, a new beginning. Now, dwell upon the great surprise of this. Dwell upon how surprising our God is. We are a stump. We have been boxed in. We have loss written on every angle of, of where we want to go. We are under the crushing sense of failure and defeat. And then God surprises us in our depths of woe with a new life, a shoot. This is so surprising. This is how God works. And, and, and look at this, a shoot. It's a twig. It's like just this little, little green branch, this little bitty thing next to the stump. I mean, all you pay attention to is, is the stump, and you think about what a great tree we lost. And you don't even look at this green little twig standing right there next to this dead stump. A little twig next to spectacular failure. I mean, who even notices that? I, I remember when, when um, we had our babies, uh, each of our babies, we decided we wanted to plant a tree the year they were born. And so we, we planted a tree for Henry, we planted a tree for Elliot, 
and, uh, and we planted a, a tree for Laura. And one of those uh, trees just didn't flourish. And it, it was like, no, no it, you know, it happens. It just one of the trees died. And so uh, my plan was to cut it down and just to plant a new tree. But uh, a person looked at that tree and noticed that at the bottom, there still was a green shoot. And he says, well, that tree's not completely dead. And so I cut the tree off right above the shoot. And that shoot has continued to grow. That shoot is now bigger than the original tree. Everything that was in the life of that tree has gone into the life of the shoot. So much so that the stump doesn't even really show up anymore. But this is the thing. A small twig, God brings forth a small green branch that no one notices. And he keeps his promises. Let's, let's, let's put some flesh on this idea. Go back, go to, go to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, and let's read these familiar words. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Do you still see the surprise of this well-known story? You have... The city of David, you have a son of David in Joseph, you have a pregnant mother, and they're in the city of David, in the lineage of David, and nobody, nobody thought this might be the mother of the Messiah. <laughs> this, might be, this might be the promised one. No, the, the, the Joseph and Mary were so poor, so insignificant, so unlikely to be anybody at all that they were given a manger to put their newborn in. This isn't because nobody thought the Messiah was coming. No, people were looking for the Messiah all the time. The, the scribes and the, and the Pharisees, when Herod asked, where's the Messiah supposed to be born? They said, the, the scriptures say Bethlehem. And yet nobody notices this baby, even though it ticks all these boxes. Born in a manger. Born 800 years after Isaiah makes this prophecy. I mean, this is the, the great mystery. There, there is all of these clearly defined um, rules that were going to have to be met. These prophecies, these words had to be met. And yet, God is able to act completely within those requirements in a way that completely surprises and confuses everybody. 
So we have the Messiah born just as is predicted, but in a way that nobody notices. Just like a little twig, a little shoot. I mean, where do we look for the Savior? We look in palaces. We look in, 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 in the sons of generals. We, we look at the right places. And yet, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, is dropped in a manger, a feeding trough. Or, 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 or think about Mark 6.3. We, we looked at this, obviously, a few weeks ago, but Jesus comes to his hometown and the people who have known him from birth say, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Do, do, do you marvel at that? I mean, this man, Jesus, who is a son of David, born in Bethlehem, ticks all of the boxes that have to be ticked to be a contender for the Messiah, was so unassuming, so like his brothers and sisters, so common in the place of Nazareth, that nobody could make sense that this one would be the Messiah. I mean, this is the shoot. This is that little green twig. And everyone doesn't see it. Everyone is surprised by it. I, I think of uh, some of my favorite movies, like The Shawshank Redemption or, or The Sixth Sense, those, those movies where all of these details are, are laid out and you're following along in the story. And then the third act comes along and all of these details fit into a place that you weren't really expecting, but they fit perfect. And you're like, oh my goodness, the, 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 little, the little hammer that Andy Dufresne had was, was to, to escape. It wasn't just to make these little pieces. And, and his Bible was, was, was hiding under the verse, you know, the, the truth, the, this book will set you free. I mean, all of these things come together. And then you're like, wow, how, how did all of this come together? And I was so surprised. You laid it all right out in front of me. And yet you still surprised me. And I'm like rejoicing with how clever it was. And so what you end up doing is you're like, who wrote this story? Who's the author of this? And you find out, you know, who wrote the Shawshank Redemption or, or who brought the Sixth Sense and, and you're, you marvel at it. I want you to come back to the nativity and see this truth there. Who can author a story like the nativity that has both such scale and such subtlety. I mean, the scale is he laid all of these promises out over hundreds of years. Hundreds of years. 800 years is when the verse uh, that we're looking at was written. And he weaves all of those to come together in this little place of Bethlehem in a way that even though it is absolutely, clearly the fulfillment, nobody saw it until the veil was lifted. So there was such great subtlety amidst all this great scale. Do you see that surprise? 
What, what does this mean? The shoot that comes out of the stump is hope. The shoot is hope. Because God can bring the shoot from the stump. We can wait on God. Because God can bring the shoot from the stump, we can wait on God. What does that mean? To wait on God means that we can live with hope, not fear. We can live with patience, not panic. We can live with hope, not despair. We can do this in a world that is becoming a stump because we know the one who brings out the shoot. How do we become such people? How do we become such people? Advent brings hope by calling us to accept where we are, to await God acting, and then finally to align, to align our hope to the Messiah. And so the last part of this verse is, a branch from his roots shall bear fruit or shall go up, depending on your translation. This is the last part of the verse. It's, it, it's, it is a parallel to the words the shoot. The branch and the shoot are the same thing. The branch is a well-known phrase used in Jeremiah and Isaiah and elsewhere for the Messiah. And Jesus claims himself as the branch. If you go to the very last book of the Bible, Revelation twenty-two sixteen, we see Jesus is the declared fulfillment of, of Isaiah 11. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. And so this branch that comes up, is the Messiah. This branch that comes up is the promised uh, baby Jesus who grows up in our midst completely unaware that the Messiah is amongst us. Now when we recognize that the branch is the Messiah, we also have to recognize something else about the stump. The stump is also a picture of discipline. The stump is also a picture of discipline. Why was the stump cut down? Israel rebelled, and the kings of David's line rebelled, trusting in themselves. The general indictment in the book of Isaiah comes from chapter 1, verse 4, which says, Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. You see, this tree became a stump because Israel fell into sin. They were a stump because God cut them down. God cut them down. And so I want us to grasp something very important. Diminishment, defeat, and death, they are instruments God often uses to get our attention. They are often instruments that God uses to get our attention, to, to, to wake us up. And why does he do that? Why, why would he allow us to become a stump or to suffer the, the humiliation of being, becoming a stump? 
The reason is that God allows us to get us to repent from our dead works and our false hopes and to trust in the branch. The only way that Israel was going to look for their hope in the branch was to come to terms with the fact that all of their hopes and all of their works had produced a stump. And so the only place that they could look, the only place where life still exists, is in the branch. And so if you are dealing with the awareness, I'm becoming a stump. I I am falling into diminishment. I am falling into defeat. I am falling into despair. And death is coming. Then this is God's gracious discipline to draw you away from your dead works and your false hopes and to put your trust in the branch. The branch calls us to repentance. The first words of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark is the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. If you are seeing the the, 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 the portents of things going bad or going from good to bad or worse to worser, if you're seeing your own life falling apart, if you're seeing your own life diminishing, then wake up to the call to repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. Believe in the gospel. How do you respond to that word? How do you respond to the call to repent? Do you hear it and say, everything's okay? Everything's okay. I don't need to hear the message repent. I don't need to hear the message believe. I got it figured out. I don't need that message. That message is too old. Are you going to fall back into the lies in the stump? And say everything is okay. No. You need to see the life in the branch. What part of your life is not aligned with God? What part of your life is out of alignment with God's will and God's word? Do you have relationships Do you have habits? Do you have attitudes that you know do not please God? There is an area of repentance. Where is your hope not grounded in Christ? Where are you putting more of your energy believing things will be okay if I get this raise or if I get this relationship or if I get this candidate elected? Where is your hope going that is not grounded in Christ? Beloved, repentance is new life. Quit defending the stump. Quit quit trying to argue that the stump isn't dead. The the call to repentance, the call to to, to join the branch is a call to new life. Listen to Jesus' words in John 15. I am the vine. I am the branch. You are, are connected to me as the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is it that bears much fruit. 
for apart from me you can do nothing. Jesus says he is the vine, he is the life. And he says that we can attach ourselves by abiding in him, believing in him, and that we will have his life. But here's the reality. If we are not in the branch, Jesus says we can do nothing. We can bear no fruit, which is to say if you do not have your life in him, whether you realize it or not, you are a stump. You are dead. You have no hope. You have no fruit that will last. But the shoot of Jesse has come and he calls us to find our life in him. The life in the shoot of Jesse becomes far greater than the life that became the stump. Like that tree in my yard where I left the shoot, it is now greater so let me call you. I, I, I know that I'm speaking to people who are walking with Christ, but there is always a deeper call, a deeper alignment, another repentance to be more fully and faithfully in the vine. Align yourself with Jesus. Advent brings hope to you by calling you to accept where you are, to await God's acting and to align yourself with the hope of the Messiah. Beloved, repent and believe, and you will have forgiveness and life everlasting. Amen?